Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, yes, I'm a, a avid soccer player, and also I, I, I really like to watch uh, the game alive. Actually, when you, if you ever have a chance to actually go to a stadium and watch a game alive, you can actually see how these games are managed, what strategies the managers are using, and so on. And you can imagine how excited I am it just count down to the World Cup now, next month. <laughs> so, um, today uh, it, it's not going to be a serious Bible exposition, but it's going to be more of my, more of a testimony, personal testimony, of how some of these men and women have influenced my walk with the Lord, and so that how I am where I am now. I want to talk about bearing fruit for Jesus. We are studying right now, many of us are studying, for a ministry ahead. A lifelong ministry is ahead of us. And ministry is really, at the end of the day, is really about bearing fruit for Jesus. We want to bear the best, very best fruit for Jesus. And I want to talk about the importance of obedience in the life of a believer if we are going to bear fruit for Jesus, fruit that will last as Jesus intended. Uh, I will never forget in 1983 when I was attending this conference uh, by Campus Crusade for Christ. It was Crusade, Campus Crusade's version of InterVarsity's Urbana. So in the, in the Christmas of 1983 in the city of Kansas, Kansas City, there were about 18,000 university students gathered from all different campuses. And, and I led this uh, university group from, from my church from Vancouver to Kansas City. And we were treated for the next four or five days with some of the, the best preaching uh, that was available in North America. Uh, great speakers included Billy Graham, uh, Bill Bright, Josh McDowell, Howard Hendricks, some of, some of you may know these names. Um, so we were inundated with so much, so much spiritual knowledge, uh, just passion, commitment that these people had for, for Jesus. And I believe it was like the, 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 the final morning or the, the day before the last uh, uh, meeting. A small framed woman walks up to the podium five foot one, five foot ten, uh, five foot two, something like that. And I instinctively felt sorry for her. Why? Because in my mind, I'm thinking, how is she going to top all these previous speakers? I felt sorry for her. I mean, she's going to have to do a really, really great job. Well, she started speaking about what happened to her life uh, some time ago. And uh, slowly we got into our story. In fact, it was electrifying. Even though it was an emotionless message, as if she was talking about somebody else's life. But uh, she had her facts straight and very carefully started to unpack what had happened to her many years back. Basically saying that she and her husband were missionaries in Ecuador. And that uh, her husband and her four other friends were all killed one day by a savage Indian, uh, a tribe, uh, nicknamed the Aukas, 
or wow done is. This was my first time hearing about what had happened in 1956. And uh, she was just telling us about what happened. And then she told us that uh, the story doesn't end there. That she came home afterwards and then decided that she would actually go into the tribe, live with the tribe, learn their language, and then share the gospel, forgive them in the name of Jesus, including the very man who killed her husband. Now, this was overwhelming to me. That's too much. Now, let me, um, let me uh, <coughs> show you the picture. Elizabeth Elliot. And the picture of this airplane, uh, they were circling around trying to befriend this tribe circling around and dropping gifts, and then sometimes they would reciprocate. Uh, they would put their gifts in the basket, and then they would uh, get, get it in the airplane. Sometimes they get, uh, get a monkey head, you know. Uh, they felt uh, time was ripe, right, it was, it was safe enough to land and then befriend them, but of course, it was not, not to be. So five men were killed. Uh, she... When she finished the story, she said, I'd like to finish the story with a favorite uh, poem uh, that my husband used to listen to, and it's written by Amy Carmichael. So there she was. Uh, Has thou no scar, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Has thou no scar? Has thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers, spent, leaned me against a tree to die and rent. By ravening beasts that compassed me, I swooned. Has thou no wound? No wound, no scar. Yet, as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me. But thine are whole, can he have followed far, who has no wound or scar? Now, that poem uh, somehow struck my very core. And I was asking this question, do I have a scar for Jesus? Now, when I came home, I began to look for some books that were written by Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. And uh, of course, I was able to find, uh, by the way, the, the, these are the Waodani Indians. And I was able to find uh, three books written by uh, Jim, first book, was really, is, is a diary of uh, uh, Jim Elliot. When he was in his 20s, he wrote, uh, 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 he, he recorded things that were on his mind. And each morning I would read a few pages out of the diary and compare myself with him. Uh, I was in my 20s when I was reading this book. And I'm asking myself, how can he be so different. He's just in his own league, spiritually speaking. He's, I'm not thinking the same thoughts as he's thinking. 
Um, so after reading The Shadow of Almighty, and in that book, he talks about the very famous quotation, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Uh, after this book, I read the second book called Through the Gates of Splendor, which is really a blow-by-blow account of how uh, the missionaries were killed and then how uh, 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 the whole thing was reported around the world and, and of course everybody said that this was a very foolish act to do. When the government says don't go in, please don't go in. You're risking your lives and this is what happened to you. Uh, after this book, I read the final book, Savage My Kinsmen, which is an account of Elizabeth Elliot and her two-year-old daughter, Valerie, going into the tribe, learning the language, and then actually sharing the gospel of forgiveness to the very killers. After reading these three books, my heart was racing. I mean, there had to be something that I, 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 I was supposed to do, but I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do. If I hadn't heard about the story, if I hadn't read these books, my mind would be in a very tranquil state. But now that I have, I just had to do something. I was married just a few months, and I discussed with my wife. I said, I cannot put, put these books down. I, I got to do something. What shall we do? And that's when we decided, all right, let's join a summer mission team that is going to Amazon. So in 1984, about three months, my wife and I, we uh, were trying to come up with uh, all the money we can find, including selling of, of, of our car, and then helping uh, our friends helping us with fundraising. And so there we were in, in Amazon. And in northern Brazil, that summer of uh, 1984, we, which we will never forget, uh, we saw thousands and thousands of people uh, coming to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ that would forever change my life. Uh, coming back from that trip, uh, you know, I was weighing, uh, going into Brazil, I was weighing 120 pounds. Coming out, I weighed 100 pounds. Uh, now I weigh much more than that, but... Uh, uh, it was a very difficult summer project. But coming out, there was one word that was, was on my mind, obedience. What does it mean to really obey and do what Christ has told us to do? What does it mean to really take the gospel and to go to remote places? I was reminded of the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He said, he who believes, obeys, and he who obeys, believes. And in the next page, he goes on to say, only he who believes, obeys, and only he who obeys, believes. So you see, there is an inseparable link between our belief and our obedience. Either we have both or we have neither. So let me ask you this, this question. Are we serious about bearing fruit for Jesus? If we are serious about bearing fruit for Jesus, then we need to really ask this question, obedience. 
what does that obedience look like in my life? What, what does that, how, how is that translated in my day-to-day living, that word obedience? What does it mean for me to obey Christ as I live my life as a seminarian, as a, as a professor, as, as a believer in Christ? What does it mean? The Bible says very clearly that Jesus chose us first. We didn't choose him, he chose us. And the Bible says very clearly that when he chose us, he chose us for purpose, and that was to bear, go and bear fruit. A fruit that is not temporary, but fruit that will last. You know, um, in studying mission history, I learned that we are who we are because of whatever has happened in the past. People have made impact in our lives one way or another. And those who have made impact in our lives are usually the people who have taken the time to obey the Lord. So, for example, Jim Elliot, uh, his favorite poem has now no scar. The author of that poem is Amy Carmichael. Some of you have read her biography. It is very inspiring. A- Amy Carmichael... Uh, left for India when she was 29 from Ireland. And until she died at the age of 84, she never went back home, not even once during those whole 55 years. Now, this is almost unheard of today. I don't know why she did not go home. It's not like she she never missed home. She missed home so much when you read her books book, uh, you, you realize she is really aching because she wants to see her mother. But she did not go, and she basically uh, became part of India. She rescued abused children from Hindu temples. She set up orphanage, school, hospital, etc., etc. She became mother to so many children who now have all grown up are, and are continuing the work that she has begun. She bore so much fruit, and yet we can all summarize in one word, obedience. She obeyed the Lord, and she obeyed her call. And I think this is what Jim Elliot uh, lived off from, that he was inspired by the obedience of Amy Carmichael. But we'll we'll look at our lives today. Uh, What is our problem? What is the current state of our Uh, the spirituality in our churches today. Somehow, along the way, this whole spirit of uh, materialism and spirit of consumerism have uh, have entered into into our churches. We want comfort. Uh, We do not want distractions. We do not want interruptions. We want convenience. We want what we want. And sometimes it's not what... Jesus has in mind. And so I believe that Jesus is still calling for people who will rise up and who will take the word obedience very seriously. I want to end this morning with someone that we know very, very well. Someone we know perhaps too well. Uh, D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody. Man, in my opinion, really... uh, represents the word obedience. Now, D.L. Moody, as you know, was a great preacher, great revivalist, 
responsible for that great awakening in towards the mid and the late of ni- 19th century America as well as in, as as UK. But did you know that D.L. Moody is single-handedly perhaps the most important person that have changed the mission history in at the end of 19th and the beginning of 20th century? Why? Because of his link to student volunteer movement. It was him that gave him passion, that gave, gave them fire. So that uh, thousands and thousands of university students signed up their lives to go to Africa, to go to Asia, knowing that there's a very good chance that they will die in the next two years. But they did. Uh, when you have a chance to go to Chicago, uh, think about visiting Moody Bible Institute. It's a training school for pastors that Moody started. And go and check out Moody Museum and Moody Memorial Church. His legacy is still there. You know, um, um, this is Moody Bible Institute and this is Moody uh, Museum. Um, And uh, wherever Moody went, revival broke out and people who were writing music, secular music, uh, and, and so on, they became Christian writers. Uh, uh, one uh, a good example is uh, uh, Daniel Webster Whittle, and he's he's written some of the hymns that we still sing today. Uh, but there was a, a uh, okay. Let's this. I know whom I have believed. A very well known hymn written by Whittle. But there is a, a gentleman uh, by the name of uh, Reuben. Uh, Archer Torrey. He worked side by side with D.L. Moody and he raised this one big question. Why is it that Moody is so used by God? Uh, I mean, there are so many other pastors and preachers around. Moody Moody never went to to Bible school, but how come come God uses him so much? So he ended up writing a book titled Why God Used D.L. Moody. And in that book, he has seven chapters Basically, he says, I've never seen a man who is more fully surrendered to God than this man. Number one, chapter one. Chapter two, I've never seen a man who prays harder than Moody. Chapter three, I've never seen a man who has a deep practical knowledge of the Bible. Number four, I've never seen a man who is humbler than this, this man. Number five, I've never seen a man who is entirely free from the love of money. And number six, I've never seen a man who has such a consuming passion for the salvation of the lost. In fact, there is an episode. He made a, Moody made his lifelong goal that there will not be a day going by, gone by without him having to uh, evangelize to at least one soul, one soul per day. But there were times when he would get so tired and so he would just go to bed. And then in the middle of the night, he remembers, so he, he gets out of the bed and goes off to the street. But, of course, late at night, only the souls you will find are people who are drunk. So he goes, approaches one of the drunkards and says, you need Jesus. And, uh, and, uh, and, 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 and the drunken man says, mind your own business. Moody says, this is my business. And the drunken man says, well, then you must be D.L. Moody. Number seven, I've never seen a man who is definitely endued with power from on high. 
There was seven secrets why God used Moody, according to R.A. Torrey. Well, again, to me, it spells obedience. If we are going to obey God, then God is going to bear fruit in us. Let us bear fruit for Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we know that you have called each and every one of us so that we bear fruit for you. Help us pause and think about what it means to obey you and follow you. Help us bear fruit for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.